You have queued up The Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation recorded at the New York City Concert Hall, Roulette. You can hear thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's past and present and find news of upcoming events celebrating innovation and imagination at roulette.org. Aren't you curious? Welcome to the Roulette Tapes. My name is Susan James. I'll be your host for this edition. Today we'll get to know Mary Prescott, a pianist and interdisciplinary artist who's been awarded a residency at Roulette. She joined me in the podcast studio to discuss a recent work presented at Roulette and the pieces she's working on for 2020. I grew up in Minneapolis and my entire formal training is as a classical pianist. Um, I've been playing since I was five, and I got my bachelor's degree in piano performance and also my master's degree in piano performance. Um, So the work that I do now, uh, it has a root in classical music for sure, but it is quite a departure from the training that I received. You know, I, I do interdisciplinary work and the elements, the dance elements, or the movement elements, and the, the word, and even just the style of music that I create, that is very abstracted from my actual training. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't have a background in dance or in, in writing, really, um, or even in composition. It's all just rigid classical training. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe your work? I think it is pretty deeply psychological. A lot of the concepts for where my work comes from are kind of snapshots from visions that I've had when I'm falling asleep or or just dwelling on something from the day. And it's a pretty complete vision, meaning I see a snapshot of something that's happening or or even a still and I will hear something that matches with that or um, manifests through whatever I'm seeing and I get a strong sensation or a feeling um, that's attached to all of that and that is usually the basis for a new piece or a new work and then everything kind of evolves out of that. Uh, other people have seen my work or listened to it and they they have a feeling that it is about deep female suffering and that wasn't an intention but I think it's maybe just inherent in the work or something that I've felt um, in the society the way that it is right now you know this the patriarchy <laughs> um, which kind of overlords everything and I also don't really think that that is specific to women I think that we're all kind of um, victims of of the patriarchy
as I mentioned, piano is my first instrument. I use it a lot in a lot of my pieces. I don't feel like I have to, but it actually feels kind of like a safe place for me. <laughs> I know the instrument very well. I like to discover extended techniques and preparations, you know, whether I was influenced by somebody else to discover that or not, you know. I just kind of work and play with those things. I stay away from electronics, even though I am intrigued by them. I wish I knew them a little bit better, but I respond very viscerally to resonance in the way that it manifests itself in nature, whether it's in sound or, or the Fibonacci sequence or <laughs> anything like that. So, so to create a sound acoustically or without electronics to me is something that I can unfold from a little bit easier in, in creating the next thing that's going to follow from that. I also don't like screens. So anything that puts me in front of a computer screen for longer than I have to be is something that I shy away from. <laughs> I also use the voice a lot. And I am not trained as a vocalist, but I, I, I don't know. It's just something that has to come out, so I do it. And I started taking some voice lessons this year, and that has helped, I think, a lot. <laughs> so now I can write a little bit better for voice, and hopefully that just continues to get better. sections of Mary Prescott's live performance, Songs Between Life and Death, a piece commissioned by Roulette for her 2019-2020 residency. Mary talks with us about that work and her process. That piece was a result of a commission from them, and um, it is about the conscious spiritual experience detached from a physical body. So it's less about um, the morbidity of death. It's not about um, grief. It's about our human attachment to, to identity with a spirit, not so much a physical body, if that makes sense. I was kind of intrigued by this because um, nobody knows what it's going to feel like. And I mean, maybe we won't feel like anything. 
<laughs> but um, I, I do have kind of a, a deep connection to the spiritual world. And um, anyway, so for that reason, I really wanted to explore this a little bit more. Um, you know, I think we all have people that are close to us who have passed away. And um, this was maybe a, uh, a chance to kind of try to share an experience with somebody that's gone. Um, one of the pieces in that song cycle is called Lucy, and that was about my great-grandfather's passing. Um, he was still, he lived to 102. Um, I was eight years old when he died, and I remember going to his bedside as he was making the transition into the afterlife, and he was delirious. My, my father was holding his hand and stroking the back of his hand, and my great-grandfather said, please don't. And I don't know if he was trying to concentrate on whatever was happening in his mind or if he was, if that hurt him physically, I'm not sure. Um, but he said, please don't. And toward the end of that, he just kept calling the name Lucy. My great-grandfather had two great loves of his life, Gertrude, who was his first wife, and she passed away when their son was about 19 years old. And then he remarried a wonderful woman named Wanda, and they lived out the rest of their lives together. So when he was passing, he didn't say either of their names, but he said the name Lucy. Lucy was the name of my great-grandfather's stepmother, who is only a few years older than he was, and had married his father, who was 30 years her senior. So it was my great-grandfather and Lucy living with this old man, and he never spoke of her. Take from that what you will. <laughs> but that's, the, that's what that particular piece was about. got into improvised music, it wasn't an accident, but it was a compulsion. Uh, I did have a very rigid classical background, and through all of that training, I always wanted to improvise, but it was terrifying. I don't know if you are, if you know other classically trained musicians or dancers, going outside of that mold is the freakiest thing <laughs> for us, you know. So. So one day I was coming to an end of a really difficult kind of personal time and, um, and I just thought, I want to be able to play, I want to be able to sit down and play without spending hours and hours and hours poring over the most minute passages and stressing out about it and feeling like I need to warm up and, and have all of these hours behind me in order to just play something simple for you or for my friend or for whoever is there with me. I want to just be able to improvise something and not, not 
have that pressure of perfection. So a friend of mine who's a, a jazz pianist was wrapping up a project that he was doing. His name is Jesse Stacken, uh, which he improvised every day for a year, and he recorded it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this, even though I don't know how to improvise at all. <laughs> I'm just going to do this. I started a blog without even thinking about it because I knew if I, if I thought too much about it, I would get freaked out about, you know, uh, the vulnerability of this whole scenario <laughs> and also just the commitment that it was going to take. Uh, so anyway, I just fervently opened an account, figured out how I could record really simply, upload really simply, and I just did it. So I recorded an improv every day for a year, posted it online, wrote about it, and it was a remarkable experience. I think I learned more from that than grad school. <laughs> that was the beginning of my improvised music. After that year was over, I didn't really know what to do with that experience, so I just let it sit for a while while I was kind of working on some other big projects that were less personal and more about my classical music stuff. So while I was doing that project, I had also founded a nonprofit that was a music camp and for classical students and also a festival for classical music. And that kind of consumed a lot of my time and energy while I was also uh, trying to feed myself. But I made this decision towards the end of 2016 that I needed to pursue another path. And uh, so I left that organization in good hands. And I decided I was going to do more with creation because that really felt like where my heart was. So I did a bunch of shows of improvised piano. And then within a year of that, uh, the fire was lit to try other disciplines that I had always kind of felt like weren't for me, but probably I didn't feel like they were for me because I hadn't had any training and so I didn't feel like my voice in those fields was valid. It was kind of a similar thing. One day the switch got flipped and I just said, I'm going to do this. So I went to residency and um, experimented furiously for a weekend, very short. Um, and none of it was music. It was all just, like I said, experiments, but performative and focused. And after that, you know, the rest is kind of history. Then I just created a bunch of stuff <laughs> in a short amount of time. And here we are. <laughs> Thank you.
one of the artists that has hugely impacted me, probably more than anybody else, at least to date, um, is Pina Bausch. Pina Bausch is my hero. I saw her work for the first time um, just a couple of years ago, but I was kind of in the midst of this whole process of exploring interdisciplinary work. And when I saw her stuff at BAM, I just, I was beside myself. I couldn't conceive of it that anybody could create something like that, but it was just, it impacted me so deeply. I saw Café Müller, which to me is just the most profound work. And of course she used music from Dido and Aeneas, uh, Dido's Lament, and that piece for me, I just love that piece. <laughs> so I guess I connected to it even more strongly because of that. Uh, and then they did the Rite of Spring too, which I was, that was why I went was to see the Rite of Spring. Of course, I loved it. It was amazing and incredible. But Café Müller really was the thing that cut to my heart. And I kind of felt like when I saw her work that somebody else made something that I understand so deeply, and it made me feel less lonely. What have your experiences at Roulette meant to your work? I am definitely emerging <laughs> as an artist. All of this interdisciplinary work that I've created is very recent. Um, I would say that everything I've made, aside from piano stuff, has been within the last two years. I feel really strongly about creating, so it felt good in that sense, but it also kind of felt like I was just making stuff and it was not being seen. And so when I got the commission for Roulette, this was the first time, first of all, that anybody paid me to make something like that. But also it gave me this platform of visibility that I wouldn't have had without them. And since that opportunity, um, I've been able to have a lot of other opportunities. I'm sure that the reason they came is because they saw, oh, she's, you know, she was commissioned by Roulette, so it gave me some sort of a stamp of approval from an institution. <laughs> so the other institutions kind of jumped onto that a little bit easier. So I guess you could trace it all back to, you know, the whatever success I have now is traced back to that first commission that Roulette gave me. And I'm so grateful for it because without it, I don't even know if I couldn't do, you know, maybe any of the things that I'm doing now. So I'm really, really grateful. Mary Prescott continues her residency at Roulette with two more new works in 2020, and here she tells us about the background for each piece. I'll talk about the one in May 1st, because that has preceded the other one in some ways. In May, I'm going to be presenting a piece called Mother Me, and that is about the psychological and sociological relationships that women have 
to mothers and to society and to motherhood. I am a woman of a certain age. <laughs> um, that is, I'm, I'm coming to a time where, biologically speaking, I won't be able to have children anymore. I don't have children now. I don't really know how I feel about that, <laughs> but I feel like I'm also in a generation where that is more of a choice rather than a given. And so, you know, I don't want to say it's a burden of choice because I'm happy to have that choice. But I think that now we're we're more conscious and aware of of that as a decision, something that we have to think about a little bit more for for how the rest of our life is going to unfold from that. You know, women have careers. They have birth control. You know, they they live quite independently. And I still think that the onus of having a child is more so on the mother. So anyway, yeah, this is a big decision. <laughs> and there is a lot of room for regret either way. So that plays into this piece. Also, I think that, you know, we all have very complex relationships with our mothers or with our children, if you are a mother, whether you consider that a good relationship or a troubled relationship or or even if you feel like there's no relationship there, there was somebody there that gave birth to you and that relationship is always complicated. <laughs> so the piece in May is kind of addressing all of these things. When I started creating it, this was one of the first pieces that I started working on a couple of years ago. And as I was kind of getting through it, it started really affecting me and it made me see things from my mom's perspective that I hadn't really considered before or I just had forgotten about. And it made me deeply sympathetic for uh, what she's gone through in her life. And, and it also made me really, really grateful to have her as my mom. So the other piece that's going to be done in February this is called Lulunaire, and this is kind of a prequel to Mother Me. When I was investigating Mother Me, a lot of different concepts of motherhood came to me, and one of them was this idea of cycles and space and planetary motion and orbits. And, and I thought about nature and animals, and the wolf, the mother wolf, really stuck out to me as an image to explore more. You know, a creature that is, that can be very violent, can also be very nurturing, very solitary and reticent, very protective, you know, and the idea of just howling at the moon and letting out these guttural sounds and emotions. That all to me was very enticing as a subject <laughs> for a piece. So um, that's what the piece in February is going to be. I'm speaking with David Torn, who's a great guitarist and electric oud player. I, I was listening to one of his albums this past year and I just I thought, I ha he has to be in this piece. He has to be in this piece. So he's in the piece. <laughs> and I have some other ideas for this piece that I'm not going to share here because we're still kind of making it. So, 
Mary Prescott, thank you very much for being with us. This has been The Roulette Tapes. My name is Susan James. We're looking forward to performances happening in February and again in May with Mary Prescott at Roulette Intermedium in Brooklyn. Please join us for that. You can find more information on our website, roulette.org, and uh, look for the information about Mary Prescott. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Roulette Tapes is a production of Roulette Intermedium. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our executive producer is David Weinstein, co-producer is Susan James, and this episode of the Roulette Tapes was recorded and edited in the studios of Brick in Brooklyn, New York. You have been listening to the Roulette Tapes, a program of adventurous music and conversation. This series is produced by Roulette Intermedium. You can find thousands of concert recordings from Roulette's archives and news of upcoming events at roulette.org. <laughs>